Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and this is podcast number five of Sandy Rios 24-7. We are so delighted that you are enjoying the show. We're getting lots of great feedback. And by the way, if you'd like to deliver a little feedback, you can call 662-821-2040, 662-821-2040. That's a, a line where you can leave a message. You can ask a question. You can make a comment. And uh, we're going to use your questions or comments, some of them at least, on the air and respond to them. So it's going to be fun. It's our way of having an interactive relationship when we're not doing a live show. So it's 662-821-2040. You can also email me at sandy at afr.net, sandy at afr.net. In this podcast, our home base is afr.net. We are a production of the American Family Radio uh, uh, team. Uh, but we also are located on all the podcast platforms. So if you like Apple or Spotify or whatever you listen to, we are there. We are there. Wherever you go, there we are. Uh, and we will be. Um, uh, there will be a new version of this podcast every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. At least that's the plan right now. And so uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. Now, I want to just say a couple of things. My husband, uh, I've asked to join me on this podcast. It's so much fun to have him. And so good morning, sweetheart. Good morning. (laughs) My husband, Bruce, is a former FBI agent. I have to repeat that because some of you are listening for the first time, uh, and I often ask him to join me just to comment. Uh, Besides, I like him, so I like him sitting here next to me. Uh, One thing that seems slightly different um, is that there are a lot of people, especially young men, Bruce, that are just uh, dropping dead. I've seen whole montages of soccer players in Europe just dropping dead on the field. We had a mm-hmm. an NFL player. Uh, didn't he? Didn't die, but he had a heart attack on the field. It just shocked everyone. Buffalo Bills, right? Yes. Yeah. So and so today, or just a few days ago, I got this that a former American Idol contestant. His name is C.J. Harris. Is thirty one, and he died of a heart attack. He didn't even make it to the hospital. Um, there are other stories about that. In fact, you had a few. You've been looking at this, right? Yes, I have. Um, yeah, recently, within the last couple of weeks, at the Air Force Academy, uh, a gentleman by the name of Hunter Brown was a 21-year-old sophomore football player, uh, peak of health, uh, one of the leaders of the team, uh, was leaving his dorm to go to the library, I believe, and just collapsed and died. And uh, I would speculate that because he is attending one of the military academies, he was probably required to be vaccinated against COVID. Yes, and a lot of these, so many of them are athletes. Like a lot of uh, young boys, uh, like like fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen high school athletes, are having the same problem. And we do know, even the even uh, the CDC has admitted uh, that uh, co- the COVID vaccine, uh, one of the side effects is uh, is heart problems. It's uh, blood clots. And now they're looking at strokes also. So Mm -hmm. look, we don't know that these young men died because they were vaccinated, but we strongly suspect it. And I think there's a reason to strongly suspect it. Well, what I I think is interesting is if you remember in the 1990s, there was a basketball player named Hank Gathers uh, from Loyola Marymount who collapsed on the floor and died of a cardiac arrest. And I mean, that shocked the nation. It was like standstill news. And now we're seeing this on a frequent basis. And it's uh, really, it seems like it's being covered up. If you go on the internet and try to uh, research this topic of sudden deaths of young people, 
the first thing you'll see is disclaimers. There's no uh, connection been established between the vaccine and their deaths. And I'm not saying that I know there is a connection, but what I'm saying is instead of looking for the actual cause, it seems like we're almost trying to make sure that there is no inference that the COVID vaccination has caused these. And in fact, the CDC in in, uh, December very quietly uh, admitted that there has been at least 118,000 children and young people that have quote-unquote died suddenly since the COVID vaccine rollout. Now, quickly they came back uh, within days and issued disclaimers that there's no uh, there's been no established uh, connection between those deaths and the vaccinations. But what I'm trying to drive at is that why are we so afraid to look at what is causing these young people to die? Well, it is scary, Bruce, and it's like uh, even people who have been vaccinated seem so uh, like they dig their heels in. And I just, my appeal is always this. If you chose to have the vaccine or have your children vaccine vaccinated, Here's the thing. Those of us that did not take the vaccine, Bruce and I did not get vaccinated, there was no, uh, there's no position of superiority. Here's the thing. We're all in this together. Our children, our grandchildren, our friends, uh, all are at risk who've had this vaccination. Do you think there's any joy in that for those of us that didn't get vaccinated? There may be some relief that we made that choice, but no superiority. But here's the thing. Do not put your head in the sand and be silly about this. Foolish. Put your children at risk because you don't want to even entertain the notion that you might have been wrong. You need to entertain the motion, the the notion that you might have been wrong. And be careful about those boosters. Please do not have your children vaccinated. Please don't do that to your children. Don't take that risk. And if you want more information on this, I recommend Dr. Robert Malone's Substack. Uh, the, he, Dr. Malone is the inventor of the mRNA vaccines. He's an expert. He's one of many. But I'll, in, I'll just mention him. Also, the Epoch Times is a great source of information on this. So uh, just beware. And as you're, hear, you're hearing these news reports, they won't ever say they're vaccinated. They, won't, they can't really, I guess, even if they wanted to, affirmatively claim it was that. But there's too much similarity. And it's frightening. And it's very upsetting, very upsetting. We have to stop this. And one of the first ways to stop it is to admit there might be a problem. Now, let me just say we are pro-life on this show, and uh, we're pro-life in every way. I'm a pro-life for 14-year-old boys and 17-year-old athletes and men in the military who are also having the same problem. I'm very much pro-life because life is precious at every end, pillar to post. That's what God has told us, and that is what I believe. He does not take lightly uh, when we take lightly the lives of others. And so with that, that also extends, of course, to the unborn baby. And I'm happy to say that Preborn has decided to partner with us for these opening days of the show where we're trying to build audience and bring more people in. Uh, And Preborn has graciously agreed to be our sponsor, and we are so happy for that. I've uh, worked with Preborn for lots of years on the radio, and so here's the deal. They save babies through ultrasound. Ultrasound is that really high-tech way of Uh, taking pictures of the baby in utero. And when girls see this, 
uh, 80% of them say, I'm not going to terminate that. That's a baby. That's my baby. I'm not terminating that baby. And so Preborn has been very effective in saving lives, and that's why I'm really pr- proud to partner with them. It's $28 uh, to pay for an ultrasound for one girl, for one, for one woman. Uh, so it's $28, and that's pretty affordable for most of us. If you can give more money, you just do the, do the math yourself about how much you can afford. $140 can save five babies. And all these gifts are tax deductible. Just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. Well, speaking of the preciousness of life, China has been taking enough of their own people's lives since the, the Cultural Revolution, uh, but they are now pretty, pretty careless about the lives of their people. And there's an outbreak of COVID there now that's pretty dramatic. And we want to talk about that with our favorite Chinese expert, Gordon Chang. Gordon is like half Chinese and half Scottish. It's really kind of cool, but he has tremendous expertise and he's going to join us to talk about that and much more about what's happening in China. So I hope you'll stay tuned, relax, sit back, and enjoy Podcast 5 of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. We now learn that chi- that uh, the University of Penn successfully lobbied the FBI to drop their China initiative, which was an investigation by the FBI into uh, all the, the reach that China has with our research universities around the United States. Even the most liberal university presidents will tell you they're concerned that China has infiltrated all of our universities with spies who are stealing our intellectual property, who are stealing all of our research development and technology and things like that. All right, that was Congressman James Comer with Maria Bartiroma on the Sunday Morning Futures just a few days ago. Um, And, uh, of course, we've talked about this a lot. This is really not new news except there is a new wrinkle, and that's more information on the connection with the Biden family and the communist Chinese. It's just a shocking story, Uh, and it's kind of shaking up the nation. But the whole issue of China being involved in our economy, in our universities, uh, in our social media is uh, and more uh, is just an overwhelming story that we've been discussing with our next guest for some years. This is really not new news. It's just worse news. Gordon Chang is an expert on China. As I told you before we started with Gordon, he is, uh, interestingly enough to me, uh, Chinese and Scottish. Uh, he has written The Great U.S.-China Tech War and Losing South Korea. The nuclear showdown, North Korea takes on the world, and the coming collapse of China. Uh, Gordon lived in China and Hong Kong for almost two decades uh, in Shanghai. Also, he was counsel to the American law firm Paul Weiss and in Hong Kong, partner in the international law firm Baker and McKenzie. Uh, I guess the bottom line is that Gordon not only has expertise uh, intellectually, his expertise experientially. He's been to China and lived there so much. He knows a lot, and that's why his opinion, opinion is so very valuable. And he joins us 
from Toronto, Canada today. Good morning, Gordon. Good morning, Sandy, and thank you very much. It's a pleasure to talk to you always. Um, all right, so I think we'd have just have to start with, like, ground zero here based on what uh, Congressman Comer just said. What, what was the FBI's China initiative? What were they supposed to be doing? Well, the China initiative was a focus um, to look at uh, Chinese infiltration, especially in, uh, stealing intellectual property. And they had a focus on universities and colleges, largely because uh, that's where China targeted um, and so it was a broad-based effort started by the Trump administration. And as you just mentioned, it was uh, terminated by uh, President Biden. You know, uh, this room, I have to just mention that we, I know we talked about this uh, uh, during the Trump administration, the Confucius Institutes, from my understanding, because Peter Wood is the head of the National Association of Scholars, and they really launched on a campaign to get rid of the Confucius Institutes and colleges and universities around the country. Uh, and I thought that had happened. Can you just say a word about that and what those thing, what they were doing? And at what were they really eliminated? Yeah. The Confucius Institutes are on college and university campuses, um, and they were nominally uh, funded by uh, the Chinese central government, but really were run by the Communist Party's um, United Front Work Department, which, move, which is intended to infiltrate other countries. There were 118 Confucius Institutes on college and university campuses. There are now about eight, but um, many of those that have been closed have actually just been rebranded and appeared under different guises. Um, also, there's something related called the Confucius Classrooms, and those are in secondary schools, and there are about 500 of those. Um, really what China was trying to do was to buy influence um, because they knew that if they put a little bit of money into uh, American schools, that college administrators uh, and even secondary school administrators would change their views on China, would prohibit people from talking about, for instance, um, Tiananmen Square, the Dalai Lama, freedom and democracy. And that actually has been very effective. It's been self-censorship on the part of uh, colleges and universities because they want the Chinese money. You know, and when you go to college and university campuses uh, in the United States, now I can't say I haven't been to all of them. I would say that my husband went to law school at University of Illinois, and we visited there several years ago, and uh, the campus looked like China. I thought I was in Beijing. Uh, there are so many. Uh, it's not just Chinese students, of course. It's Indian and a lot of other nationalities. But the universities really have, and this is maybe a different, slightly different topic, but they have uh, really sort of begun favoring, I think, students from overseas, maybe because they can afford to pay the tuition. I don't know. If you have any comments on that. Yes. I mean, uh Colleges have become hooked on uh, tuition money because Chinese students pay full amount, um, and most of them do not have scholarships. Um, before the pandemic, there were about 390,000 Chinese students uh, on colleges and universities in the U.S., and, and this is also true um, in other countries, um, but especially uh, here, which was a favored destination. Now there are fewer, um, and there are fewer in, in part for a number of reasons. One of them is that the Trump administration decided to start looking at some of the people who were coming and realized that they were Chinese military officers who were not disclosing that uh, affiliation, um, but were coming to the U.S. to steal um, 
information uh, and data and research and learning, which they have. There's an estimate that about 13% of Chinese college and university students were actually involved in espionage. Well, I remember discussing this again with Peter Wood, and they were, maybe with you too, Gordon, probably, uh, that they were actually, the Chinese uh, Communist Party had ways of actually coercing students to spy, uh, and it was it was expected of them. And so there's uh, that whole dimension of this. I want, I want to talk about one particular university because it's in the news now. This Penn-Biden Center is actually not new. It opened up in... Um, 2018. Uh, so, uh, and they have you know the, it's located in D.C. and it's of course the Penn Biden Center for for a reason. Biden uh, Biden was placed over China as vice president of uh, under Barack Obama. Barack Obama gave him China as one of his areas of you know Ukraine and China and others. And so, um, I, this is just a, an aside. I noticed that they had guests. I saw on their website, uh, Secretary of State John Kerry. Uh, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, Attorney General Eric Holder, Attorneys General Eric Holder, and Loretta Lynch. And, uh, you know, so you, so you can sort of get the flavor of what the Penn Center was all about. But now it's in the news. And actually, James Comer told us the story, but I'd love to hear you uh, kind of uh, just extrapolate on that about what's happening with the Penn Center, what happened with China, and why is this in the news? Well, it's in the news because even before the University of Pennsylvania opened up the Penn-Biden Center, um, there were um, real concerns on campus about Chinese money. But obviously that actually increased with the establishment of the Penn-Biden Center um, because contributions to the University of Pennsylvania from Chinese parties increased something like threefold or so. Um, And the then ex-Vice President uh, Joe Biden actually got what looked like a no-show job. Um, He would show up um, for, you know, I think it was like eight appearances, um, received almost a million dollars. And so the implication there was very much of a concern to people on campus. And now, of course, it's become a national concern with uh, the finding of uh, confidential documents in Biden's office at the Penn-Biden Center. Well, then also just I think it's the Twitter of all these files, these emails that are coming out that I think informed us that uh, the, it was the uh, Penn Biden Center that talked the FBI into stopping their China initiative. And so the FBI dropped it because the Penn Biden Center reached out. And now we also know, according to James Comer and the, the revelation of these emails, that China paid Penn Biden Center $50 million dollars. Uh, and it was kind of a nice little quid pro pro. It's really jaw-dropping, isn't it, Gordon? I just, this is jaw-dropping. Yes. I mean, this is uh, one symptom of a broader problem, and that is elite universities have actually failed to meet the requirements of federal law to report large contributions from foreign parties. The 1986 Education Act requires them to report uh, contributions or contracts of $250,000 or more. And when Betsy Voss was Education Secretary in the Trump administration, she actually got um, the universities to start um, reporting. Um, but they have been the universities have been trying um, to reduce the reporting requirements, whereas we should be uh, lowering the threshold for reporting, uh, largely because these large contributions can have an enormous effect on um, our universities. And it's not just China; it's Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and others. Um, but we should be 
guarding against this because academic institutions, they are supposed to be the core of freedom in the United States, and they're not. You know, you've already answered this in part, but I want to ask it again. Why is there so much cooperation from academia? Why are they so willing? They're not exactly ignorant of China's Communist Party and its power and dangers. Why would they be so willing to embrace uh, and, and cover for China in these incidences? Well, there are a number of reasons. One of them is money. Um, another is just naivete. Um, academics tend to talk to other academics and believe that none of them could be involved in evil doing. Um, and it's also just a general outgrowth of our engagement policies that we uh, hope that by working with China, by strengthening China, that it would become benign rather than belligerent. Unfortunately, it has become belligerent. This is the biggest strategic mistake that the United States has ever made throughout its history um, because we should have realized this was a communist regime, and of course it was going to act like a belligerent communist if it got the power to do so. We forgot all the lessons of the Cold War and became stupid. Yeah, I think you're right, and business especially. Oh, my goodness, when I think about the businesses and the open <clears throat> open trade and, excuse me, free trade and all of the things that they preached like it was some sort of um, mantra, like it was some biblical passage, free trade. And so they sent you know all the work overseas and did so much of the money that uh, would come to this country and to help our people just thrive and have normal lives. Uh, but um, we are talking with Gordon Chang. And by the way, Gordon uh, was a trustee with Cornell University for a number of years. He's got so much experience as an attorney, but also as a person who's lived and worked in China and Hong Kong. Uh, he is really... Uh, one of the nation's leading experts, no doubt about that. I want to take a little bit of a break here, Gordon, just to give us a pause. But when we return, uh, China is suffering so much right now with COVID, and it's being reported in ways that I think are not uh, accurate. And I'm thinking that maybe you, Gordon Chang, can tell us what's actually happening in China and why so many people are now dying of COVID. We'll do that in just a second. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, that was very interesting. You know, Gordon is one of our favorite Chinese experts for a reason. He and his wife, Lydia, uh, we see them often when we're out traveling, and they become more than our favorite experts. They become friends, and it's really a, a wonderful, enriching friendship. And Gordon is always all over what's happening in China. But this story about this Penn Biden Center, Bruce, is pretty remarkable because the the president of the United States now is implicated since they found those uh, files of his, part of the fi- uh, the uh, top secret files they found at the Penn-Biden uh, offices in D.C. What are your thoughts about that? Do you think the president, uh, what do you think is happening with that? Well, I think the president, as when he was vice president, was very involved with uh, China, amongst other countries, And uh, as we've seen from the evidence that's been presented by Tony Bobolinsky and other people, the the Twitter files, uh, Joe Biden has had a very inappropriate relationship with China as a government official. Uh, He has profited, I believe, off of his, in his private capacity. I think his family has profited in that. And of course, they want to keep the gravy train rolling. So... Uh, what better way than to uh, basically go quid pro quo with the Chinese government? Like, we'll set up this Penn Biden um, foundation, and uh, in exchange for your money, 
I will make sure that you have access to our government. And uh, so it's it shouldn't be surprising that all of a sudden they've made a mistake, if they being the, 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 the president, in that he has mishandled classified information and that it's ended up in places it shouldn't be. Yes, and we need to add, uh, because this is going to be an ongoing conversation, when President Trump uh, had classified files at Mar-a-Lago, you know, there was a raid, a huge raid. They made a big deal of it right before the election. Uh, a president of the United States has the ultimate authority to classify or declassify information. Uh, a vice president has no such authority. If he takes classified information, that is a very big deal. And so um, I, and the last thing I think point we need to make about what's happening, and I'm sure that people are hearing this elsewhere, but uh, most uh, people who I trust believe that this, of course, is, uh, is an opportunity for the Democrats to get rid of President uh, Biden because they don't want him to run. He's announced he's going to run again, and they, they don't want that uh, hanging on them because he's very unpopular, and uh, now they're ready for something new. And some people think it might be Michelle Obama. How about that? President Obama again. <laughs> Number two. I really don't want to think about that, but I would say that the co- quote-unquote coincidence of suddenly these documents being found, like what what initiated that that people haven't known earlier than now about yeah. where these documents were and what they contained. It is very, very quote-unquote suspicious, coincidental. Yeah. They found them in November right and didn't let us know until yeah. December. Then they only said they were in one place, now two places, now three places, yes. you know, where the... Uh, the the Corvette, Corvette in the garage, but it's locked. Don't worry, it's locked. So his garage is locked. Well, it's just bizarre. It's it's almost like it is really you could not write a no- novel more uh, bizarre than what we are watching unfold in this country. Uh, but I would just say, remind all of you that we have a sovereign God who supersedes the concerns that we have on this earth. If you know Him and you trust Him, and that's the challenge, you need to get to know Him and to trust Him. Uh, to know his ways and understand, uh, because this is part of a very big picture that's going on for, you know, millennia. So, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not important, and that doesn't mean we don't need to do something about it. But I'm just saying there is a bigger picture, and it's always good to be able to see that. And there's always hope when you serve a God like we do. Let me just say that we are very grateful to Preborn for kind of launching with us here on this new podcast. Preborn is an organization that saves the lives of unborn babies with these great ultrasounds. And ultrasounds are so sophisticated now that women can actually uh, see so much detail of their unborn baby. It's amazing. I remember, you know, decades ago when I had my children, uh, I remember when that technology came out, but they've only improved it. You can see so much. You can tell the the gender of the baby and all kinds of things. And when women see that, 80% of them say, I cannot terminate this life. And for good reason. Uh, they realize it really is their baby, and they just get attached to it. So that's what preborn does. But what they need from us is help to pay for those uh, ultrasounds for the women that come to them, because many of them can't afford uh, what they need to afford. It's only $28 for one ultrasound. Uh, So $28 is pretty affordable for most of us, thank goodness. And of course, if you want to rescue five babies, it's $140. So you can do the math on that, but it's just $28 for one ultrasound. And if you would like to help them do that, you can go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. 
COVID lockdowns may be over in China. But for many, there's misery at the end of zero COVID. The virus is overwhelming hospitals across the country. The sick struggle to get help. Patients crammed into every available space, every hallway and corner of this northern Chinese hospital. Not everyone survives the struggle. Rows of bodies filled this funeral home storage room in Liaoning province, though we don't know how many died of COVID. In Jiangsu, families in mourning clothes flood the gate. And in Sichuan, families line up outside right next to coffins, waiting to cremate their loved ones. China has only officially reported a few dozen COVID-19 deaths since reopening. But satellite images confirm the different reality we see on the ground. These images, taken in late December and early January, show crowds and long lines of cars waiting outside of funeral homes in six Chinese cities. The images from the outskirts of Beijing show that a brand new parking lot was even constructed. We visited that funeral home. Rows of cars were already there. I'm now standing in that new parking lot of this Beijing funeral home. This entire parking lot area did not exist a month ago. And as you can see, the roads are not paved. One van pulls in, unloads a body and another follows. A man tells me he waited hours for his brother's body to be cremated. But the wait is nothing, he says, compared to the crowds from a few weeks ago. All right, that's a report from CNN just recently. And it reminded me very much of uh, when we, in 2020, when COVID first broke out, we saw all of these images from China, people collapsing. Uh, we saw some images over and over again, an Italian hospital. We were told that the hospitals were overwhelmed, that COVID was killing people. People were frightened, uh, frightened here because we were told that it was, you know, could come here. And so we were genuinely worried and for good reason. But we found out later that a lot of those videos and some of that stuff was staged. It doesn't mean people did not die from COVID, but it's just that the information was twisted. And so I found myself wondering as I watched this, uh, what's being twisted here? What's actually happening in China? Gordon Chang, again, is our guest, the author of The Great U.S.-China Tech War, War and Losing South Korea, uh, and uh, one of my favorite China experts. He and my nail salon person is my other China expert. And Gordon, let me just tell you, she told me last week that her mother, who is a communist back in China, uh, has COVID and they have no medicine. And she was just in tears. Uh, she, you know, was afraid she's going to lose her mother. Well, I see now that this is, uh, this is happening all over China. So let's talk about this. Um, maybe we could start with that report. It, what part of that report is accurate from your perspective? Well, the report was accurate. Um, since that time, uh, China um, reported 37 COVID deaths since the reopening on December 7th. Um, last week, they reported 60,000 deaths in hospitals. Um, most epidemiologists and believe that there is somewhere like 250,000 deaths since December 7th opening. Some people say 600,000. Um, the modeling suggests that when this winter is done, there'll be somewhere between one and two million deaths of uh, Chinese um, there. And there'll probably be somewhere between 800 million and 1.1 billion infections. Um, so this is really quite, uh, it's, it's crippled China, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, people are being cremated in the streets because the crematoria have been overwhelmed. Now, I know that you're not a scientist and you're not a covert expert, neither am I. 
I do talk about it a lot. I'm sure that you read and talk about it a lot, you know, at least privately if you don't speak publicly. But, uh, Gordon, it's my understanding. It looks as though uh, when you say that they opened in December December 7th, we should say that China has been shut down for nearly three years and people could not even hardly go out for groceries. And I remember this one clip we played several times in Shanghai, uh, these high-rise buildings. You could hear people wailing inside the building. Do you remember that? Yes. China had what was known as a zero-COVID policy, which was an attempt to prevent any transmission of the disease. And this, in practice, meant uh, draconian lockdowns, um, daily testing for COVID, um, and all sorts of of really totalitarian-like measures. Um, The Communist Party just thought it could beat the virus, uh, which is a a sort of a, a symptom of the Communist Party believing they can do anything, conquer nature, conquer viruses. On December 7th, the National Health Commission um, transitioned to essentially a let-it-rip policy. Um, And people say, well, this was a change in policy, and one could characterize it that way, but it was basically a capitulation to the disease. Uh, The Chinese regime capitulated for essentially three or four reasons. One of them was that disease actually had been surging through China since the late part of November, early part of December, and they realized zero COVID was no longer effective. But also the Chinese people, through some extraordinary demonstrations, um, just said they would no longer put up with zero COVID. We know that zero COVID was extremely expensive to administer, and localities, even including the capital city of Beijing, could no longer afford it. And also, zero COVID was killing the economy. So essentially, the regime just uh, collapsed. Uh, and uh, right now, uh, they're letting the disease uh, go through China. You know, Sandy, we tried to flatten the curve, as is famously said. Well, what China has effectively done is to compress the curve, and that's causing the tragedy that your hairdresser talks about. Yeah. You know, one other thing she added, and I read this in the CNN report as well, is that they don't have medication, that people are not getting any medicine. That's the problem. I, there's no treatment, uh, nothing. You know, they don't have uh, the antibiotics. They're not getting anything. That's what my friend says. And her mother, again, is part of the Communist Party, so she should get, you know, uh, you know, priority treatment. Uh, but why wouldn't China, when they produce, you know, our antibiotics, a lot of our medications, that's one of the issues that we discovered uh, under President Trump when the COVID broke out, was that China was manufacturing our medicines. Why don't they have medicine? Is this on purpose or is this uh, just they don't have it? They just can't produce it fast enough. Um, it's because under their zero COVID, they were not planning for outbreaks. Um, so, for instance, during those three years, They were building quarantine facilities. They weren't building ICU beds. And they also weren't stocking up on therapeutics because they thought that they just didn't need them. So essentially, this is a failure of policy. Um, You know, communists don't really care that much about human life. But this is one of those cases where it wasn't so malicious as it was really just a complete failure of policy. You know, Gordon, we should say something. You touched on this, but... The Chinese people, in spite of their oppression, they really fought back on these lockdowns. I, I just got bits and pieces of it. I'm sure I'm not aware of, of but only a tiny bit of it. I mean, do, how effective do you think their protests were uh, and their protestations, I should say, against this regime to, to, to stop I, I the lockdowns? 
they were that was I think the the lightning rod. Um, the regime had to um, um, basically give up zero COVID, but the timing of it I think was in large part because of a series of extraordinary protests that began at the end of October in Zhengzhou, which is in the center of China, at that iPhone plant run by Foxconn, which is a Taiwanese subcontractor. Uh, Chinese workers just scrambled over fences. They were running through the fields to escape the zero COVID. And then after the November 24th fire in Urumqi, um, it just crystallized thinking across China. And we saw those protests spontaneously just erupt throughout China north, south, east, west. And and people were protesting not just zero COVID, but they were saying down with Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, down with the Communist Party. The party realized it, it had to relent because it could no longer maintain this. Um, as, as, as large as the security state is in China, it could not um, stand against all the Chinese people. And that's where they were moving if they hadn't relented on zero COVID. Well, Obviously, the next question, because you and I always talk about this, the economy. For heaven's sake, when you've got this many people dropping, you know, or sick or dying, and no doubt whatever the number is, it's underreported, it has to have an effect. China, you know, China's everywhere. They're in South America. They're in Australia. They're in, you know, they're they're getting their fingers in everywhere across the globe, as we have discussed. This must have some effect. This is like reminds me of the Soviet Union when they were um, overstretched with their their uh, military spending. Is there any comparison with that, or is it that they have so many people that this won't matter? It certainly matters. Um, on Tuesday, China's National Bureau of Statistics reported that for 2022, the economy increased by 3.0%, one of the lowest rates in decades. And that number, I think, is too high um, because I think the Chinese economy in the fourth quarter of 2022 is contracting, and it certainly is contracting in this month of January. Um, I don't think that they actually grew 3.0, but uh, a large part of the reason why it is low and why they had to report a low number was because people could see that zero COVID was actually um, undermining economic growth, basically killing growth. And so, therefore, it does have a big effect. We The last time you and I talked, Gordon, was when Xi Jinping, we thought he was in big trouble. Uh, the people were saying, you know, there was kind of a rebellion. And, uh, uh, well, I don't. maybe that's an overstatement. There was a pushback on him becoming, you know, taking power and becoming like the leader for life, uh, which is, I think, what he wanted to be. He prevailed in that fight. Any Any word about that process and what happened and how people are responding to that? In the middle of October of last year, at the 20th National Congress of the Communist Party, uh, Xi Jinping got his precedent-breaking third term as general secretary, and people were then talking about, well, he was ruler for life. Um, But uh, while he was cementing his control over the top of the party, the Communist Party was losing control over Chinese society. As I mentioned, those protests uh, in Zhengzhou at the end of October showed that the party was actually losing its grip. And since that time... There are indications that Xi Jinping has sort of lost his grip over the top of the party as well, because the party has been announcing um, relaxations of his signature policies. He would not be changing his signature policies if he had the power to keep them. Um, So, for instance, on zero COVID, 
um, in the middle of October when he opened up the 20th National Congress with his work report, which is a nearly two-hour speech. He's, he doubled down on zero COVID, and yet um, the regime has moved away from it because people can see that his uh, domestic policies have caused these not only failures but debacles. So this is, um, I think, Xi Jinping is losing influence in the Communist Party at the moment. You know, you would think, wouldn't you think, that this, this, these bad things, these terrible things that are happening in China would actually be, okay, I care a great deal about the Chinese people, you know that, so I, I'm not saying this in the spirit of they don't matter, I'm just saying, because of the troubles, the, the, the travail, the deaths, all of that, that would be seemingly good news for the West in terms of China's aggressive um, uh, attempt to take over and control, you know, and influence our leaders. And uh, it, wouldn't there be some measure of benefit to us from all of that in spite of what's happening in China? That's possible, Sandy. But in December of last year, when China was completely crippled by COVID, it became internally, it became more aggressive externally. There was the large Chinese incursion into Arunachal Pradesh in India, that's in the Himalayas. And we saw increased temp uh, tempo of incursions into Japanese and Philippine waters in the South China Sea and East China Sea. China actually challenged an unarmed U.S. Navy, uh, U.S. Air Force reconnaissance plane in international airspace over the South China Sea. And of course, there were the incursions into Taiwan's air defense identification zone, especially the Christmas Day incursions. Um, so. I, I think that Xi Jinping could very well become much more aggressive towards us because of the internal problems. Well, it does have this. It's kind of like the dynamic of a of a husband whose wife controls him at home, and he's a terrible boss because he's terrible to other people because of his abuse at home. We see that that's kind of a syndrome. So I guess it's kind of a human nature thing. Well, that's a good. It's a good uh, warning, uh, Gordon. And just any last words as you say as we say goodbye here about what people should know or expect from China? Well, China views the United States as an existential threat, not because of anything we say or do, but because an insecure regime is worried about the inspirational impact that our values and our form of governance have on the Chinese people. So it's we're viewed as an enemy because of who we are, uh, not because of what we do. And that means China can take us by surprise, um, and that means we have to understand the maliciousness of the Chinese regime, and the urgency of the situation. Um, if you look at the Oval Office or the senior reaches of the Pentagon, both uniform and non-uniform, there is not a sufficient sense of urgency as to what's going on. And so this is a particularly dangerous moment, not only for us, um, but for the world as a whole because of what's happening inside China. Gordon, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, please remind me where people can find your information. Uh, I tweet at Gordon G. Chang, G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G, and I archive my articles for free on my website, which is www.gordonchang.com. Okay, great. That's good to know, and we will po we will post that so people can find you. Gordon, it's always a pleasure, and uh, we will see you very soon somewhere <laughs> at one of these big meetings where we often get to meet and chat and uh, give our best to your wife, Lydia. I should say that Lydia is uh, from Hong Kong, and she's been a great resource of information, too. They're just great partners in trying to warn the West about what's happening. So thank you to both of you, Gordon, and thanks for joining us today. 
Oh, well, thank you so much, Sandy, and look forward to seeing you at CPAC. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you. My best to Lydia. Thank you so much. Well, that's uh, that's really from the horse's mouth. I did mention that I have a nail technician who is a Chinese. They're usually Vietnamese, but she's Chinese, and she, we've become friends through the years. It's funny because she doesn't speak English very well, and so I'll just I put I put my hands on her hands. I say, "Say that again. Say that again." Then I'll say, "Did you understand me?" And we talk about China and communism constantly because she's Chinese. Her mother's a communist in China. Uh, with the party, and she has all kinds of information that she brings to me, and that's just very, very helpful. By the way, don't tell the Chinese that because they'll come after her. But um, honestly, she's the one who told me about this uh, this plague breaking out now in China. See, the thing of it is, uh, for those of you that maybe don't have not really made yourselves expert on um, what the vaccination does, it it shut vaccination. It's a shot. It's not a vaccination. It's never been through all the protocols. It doesn't meet the grade or the the test of uh, vaccinations that they've met for years, like smallpox and polio and all of those. Nothing like that. Not tested. Uh, but we do know that it replaces your natural immunity with uh, with a different kind of like a the the the, the gene in there change the gene the uh, mRNA in there changes your ability to fight off diseases of all kinds. So we know that there are diseases of all kinds that people are dying from. The death rates are up exponentially. But in China, uh, now, I would imagine that all of these people now just don't have natural immunity, and they're probably dying from a lot of things. That was a sad, sad uh, segment, wasn't it, Bruce? Oh, and I'm sure that, as sad as it sounds, we probably don't know the whole story um, with such a repressive regime. you heard Gordon talk about how really uh, life means nothing to the regime. It's all about their power. And this zero COVID policy has been, you think we had lockdowns here. You should uh, study about what went on over there. And uh, now, you know, they've, when China itself basically admits that we can't defeat the virus, we have to let it run its course. Uh, that should be a real wake-up call for us here in America that stop with these silly lockdowns and things. Let people get immunity. and Natural immunity. Natural immunity. Mm-hmm. And, and to give them medicine, for heaven's sake. give That's us what, medicine. You know, isn't it amazing how our medical professionals echoed what China was doing? Not yeah. doctors would say, uh, if you test positive for COVID, don't come, don't come in. Yeah. Don't come in. Just yeah. take, you know, Tylenol, go home. But if it gets worse, go to the hospital. The hospital mm-hmm. turns around, they put... You know, uh, they they rush really to they did were to put respirators, uh, ventilators, ventilators, yeah. ventilators, and the ventilators were killing people. Uh, they were not getting proper medication. We know this because you nearly lost your life, Bruce. I nearly lost you over this. If it hadn't been for a lot of hard fighting, uh, you wouldn't be here next to me. Uh, but I don't know if people understand that that uh, the protocols that were put in place by CDC and NIH were just uh, corrupt and uh, did not value life. And we're just here to shout it from the rooftops. Stop listening to the CDC, the NIH. They have lost all credibility. And that's why your friends are dying. Your children are having heart attacks. Don't listen. Wake up, wake up, wake up. So anyway, with that, um, that little pleasant message. But it is important. We want to save your life. We care about you. And so stop, stop having your children uh, take this shot and stop taking those boosters. Just stop it. All right, so uh, this is you know the fifth. This is the fifth iteration of this uh, uh, Sandy Rios twenty four seven, and we're so happy that you have joined us. 
So happy that you've been listening. There are other episodes now you can go back and listen to that are also, I think you'll find them very beneficial. And by the way, you can find us uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social, on YouTube. Uh, You can go to AFR.net to get the podcast, or you can uh, go access on all podcast uh, uniforms, platforms, (laughs) platforms. Also, uh, on AFR.net, there's an app, AFR. You can just download that app and you can hear uh, the show anywhere, the podcast, anywhere that you go. Uh, so there you go. And if you want to have a comment for us, you can call 662-821-2040, 662-821-2040, or go to Sandy Rios at AFR.net, Sandy Rios, Sandy at AFR.net. Also, uh, we have a website that you can check out. We'll give you a little bit more information. You can sign up for our newsletter. Sign up to be on the mailing list. There's no newsletter yet. <laughs> but uh, to be on the on the mailing list, it's sandyrios.com. All right, I think that's enough. I think that's enough. And with that, we'll say goodbye, uh, and we'll talk to you really soon. Sandy Rios along with Bruce, right, saying goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening. <laughs> okay. Okay.